When Stephanie Jordan's husband passed away in December of 2014, she had an eight-month-old, a two-year-old, a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a 13-year-old. Her life went into chaos, as you can only imagine. She also homeschooled and owned a large salon company. She was totally traumatized and, in her words, didn't have a brain cell left for nearly a year and a half. She struggled to keep her life intact, which included some suicidal thoughts, because she was completely overwhelmed and absolutely devastated. Stephanie's message today is, are you a spitfire who refuses to quit? She was. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Grant. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Stephanie Jordan is a mom of five kids who was married, divorced, widowed, remarried. Her husband had four kids, or has four kids, so now they have nine kids. She's an author, a publisher, a cosmetologist who rides a Harley Davidson Sportster 48. I can't wait to hear Stephanie's story. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's start, Stephanie, by sharing your backstory. I know you're going to talk about a lot of things today that my audience is going to relate to. But before we get into that, share your story of what happened. I came into adulthood not knowing anything about healthy relationships, boundaries, any of that sort of stuff. Um, I came from a fairly stable background, but my father died when I was four and my mom remarried. And I didn't have a great relationship with my stepdad growing up. And so when I came into adulthood, I was, I was really um, lost. I was spoiled. I was, I just cared about fun. That was all I cared. About. That's all I wanted was fun in my life. And I uh, got married at 21 and he was an alcoholic and I knew nothing about alcoholism. And I knew nothing about codependency, but we had great sex and a lot of fun. And that was all I cared about at 21. We got pregnant about a year and a half into our marriage. And he beat me up when I was pregnant with my oldest son. And I left, but I tried to work the marriage out for two years. He was never going to get any help. He was never going to sober up. 
As a matter of fact, he passed away last year, still Hmm. an alcoholic. Uh, After two years of trying to work that marriage out, I divorced him. And then God called me into my marriage with Jay. And I prayed against Jay. I was like, God, I will take anybody on the planet but Jay Jordan. Hot mess. But he taught me more about love than than I ever could wrap my head around. He was just, he loved me. He loved my broken parts. He loved my good parts. He, he saw me for, for me, for the inside of me. Uh, we proceeded to have four kids together and cause God knew we were going to need more than a piece of paper to keep that crazy train together. So he gave us people, lots and lots of people just to really get, I guess, into some of the meat of our marriage. Um, I opened my salon storefront in January of 2012. Uh, we got pregnant with baby number four in April of 2012. And my back went out in November of 2012. And when I say my back went out, I mean, I could not, I could not stand. Wow. Here I had a salon company. We were in our first year. I was pregnant with baby four and I could not stand. And it was pretty terrifying. And they gave me an epidural um, shot in my back just to try and get me through the end of my pregnancy. In April of 2014, my epidural block wore off and I couldn't stand again. And I went to see a chiropractor and he was like, look, I can't touch you. You're in really bad shape. And the orthopedist had already told me I was in really bad shape. And he said, I'm going to set you up with uh, a neurosurgeon if you'll sign this paper and he'll get you in. I totally trust this guy. So May 13th of 2013, I walked into the neurosurgeon's office and about five minutes after I was in the room, he said, I'm taking you to surgery right now. He said, if you walk out of this room, you may never walk again. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm on my way to work. I have 11 colors over the next two days. Um, no, 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 no. There's no time for surgery. And he was like, um, no. He said, you're not leaving my office. If I cannot get the operating room today, I will see you at six o'clock in the morning. And two hours later, I was getting emergency back surgery. Wow. Did they ever determine what the problem was? Yeah, it's actually a chronic issue. It's called cauda equina syndrome. So basically my L5 S1 disc had herniated to the point where it compressed all of the nerves to the lower half of my body. Oh, okay. And that's why it was considered an emergent surgery because it can cause paralysis, uh, incontinence, Basically, it destroys the whole entire lower half of your body. It was um, terrifying. No kidding. But I knew I was in really bad shape. I couldn't stand. And so after that surgery, I was, I have never had surgery. I've popped out lots of babies. I never had had surgery, never been in the hospital, never had any physical issues at all outside of my back giving me trouble. And it kind of threw me into a trauma state. Mm. And Jay and I had decided at the end of 13, like October that year, that we were going to get divorced after 
the holiday. We were just going to make it through the holidays and then we would start divorce proceedings. And right after the New Year's, he was actually putting cameras up in the salon because I had somebody stealing stuff from me. And of course, I had had surgery and I just couldn't mess with all that. And so he was putting cameras in and I felt a bump bump in my abdomen. And I was like, either that was some heck of some muscle memory or that was a baby. (laughs) (laughs) And I texted them and I said, "Um, I think you may need to bring me home a pregnancy test because I think I just felt a baby move. And he was like, are you trying to freak me out? I'm like, knock yourself out. I'm, I'm freaking out too. If you knew Jay Jordan, he never shut up. This man could talk and talk and talk. He was very interesting. His brain never quit working, but he never shut up. And after I took that pregnancy test, he literally did not speak for a solid week. Oh, my word. <laughs> we were both totally just freaked out. But what did I tell you earlier? God knew we needed people to keep this crazy train together. So he kept giving us people. So we were kind of waving our white Wiley Coyote flag, you know, Wiley Coyote from the Roadrunner uh-huh. cartoons where he's like getting his butt kicked at the end. And he's always like, okay, I give up. I give up. So that was us. We were like, we give up. Okay. We're going to have another, another little baby. She was born in April of 2014. Her birthday is actually tomorrow. She'll be nine. She, she was kind of the just peace spot where we just, Uh, we just came to peace with uh where we were. And in October of 2014, God kind of miraculously healed our marriage we were doing the best we had done in years. We, so the beginning of 2014, we were planning on getting divorced by the end of 2014. We were in the best place we've ever done. I would love to give anybody in a struggling marriage, just the encouragement to keep going. If your marriage is good, God's in the middle of it and you're, you're healthy. Keep going. If you're an abusive relationship, get the heck out of there. But the story of marriage can be so beautiful because it's just rich in its its ability to have these ebbs and these flows and these peaks and these valleys and everything in between. And had we given up, we would have never gotten to the space that we got to. December 29th of 2014, Jay, I had been at the salon all day. I was changing my point of sale system and I came home and he was, I told you earlier, he was a talker and he was very dramatic and he was a big man. He was 6'3", nearly 400 pounds. Just He was just a huge presence of a man. He was kind of being really dramatic. And I mean, I'm 37 years old. He's 38 years old. Like I didn't know anything about heart issues and heart trouble and he had told me that he hadn't felt good before. And I told him to go to the fire station and get checked and stuff like that. But he was stubborn and ornery and wouldn't go. So if you're a man out there listening, go get checked because he got in the shower and he got out and he, he said, this is the worst gas I've ever had in my life and asked me to rub his back. And I got up to rub his back. 
and he immediately fell over and started seizing and that was it he was gone it was lightning fast oh my goodness I called 911 and they came and they worked on him for about 25 minutes but there was he he was gone I knew he was gone there I was with a dead husband on my floor five kids oh I mean I just remember that night just feeling like I was going to vomit at any moment like I just wanted to vomit I couldn't breathe I couldn't breathe for months it felt like you have those little shallow breaths where you you know you're getting oxygen but you don't get a good deep breath it was like that for months it was you know April of 2015 before I really came out of the initial fog of everything that happened it it was the craziest thing because the trauma of death we don't talk about it enough in our culture because I call, I call death a tsunami. It's a spiritual tsunami. We were never meant to taste death. That, that's the only quote natural end quote thing that happens to us that we can never reconcile. And it's why people go into trauma states and bitterness and resentment. It's often why if somebody's been married for long time you know one will die right after the other like we never can reconcile death it took me on this huge long journey just to understand i call it the art of becoming unwind and when you've been married to somebody and you've built a life and you have this family and especially when you're in your 30s and it's just taken and split second, I, I literally couldn't form a full sentence for probably a year and a half. It was just utterly devastating. I guess you could say a fortunate thing is that I had lost my dad at four. Uh, my dad died in a car accident. My mom and I became widows at the exact same age. I've always said, thanks, mom, for the good legs. You could have kept the widowhood. <laughs> to wrap my head around all of that was really crazy um, that I was a widow and now I had these children to raise, but I guess I had an understanding of what they were going through because I had lost my dad. And so I really tried to work out grief processing with my kids. I cried freely in front of my kids. I would talk about, you know, the loss of their dad. Um, We're eight years in to this journey and we still talk about him regularly we've never I've never Uh tried to stifle or suffocate their loss or their missing him and the youngest ones that were eight months and two at the time that he passed they really didn't start grieving him for years I guess the little one Um, she was probably five years old before she really started grieving the loss of her dad. Really? Yes. And so she would just have moments where she would just burst into tears and be like, I miss my dad. And, you know, why, why didn't I get to know him? And like, just really going through these grief processes And I would have to remind myself that she never got to do that 
in 2015, in 2016, in 2017. You know, like all the Uh years that me and the older kids were grieving, she never got that opportunity. She was just a baby. And so I have to really dig deep um, into myself with her and like re-grieve with her as she has aged. Well, you said some really interesting things about grieving and small children that I never thought about before, and I really appreciate uh, you sharing that. Now, we're going to fast forward a bit and tell us uh, when we come back, we're going to take a short break for about 30 seconds, and when we come back, tell us not only what happened, that your life is now changed once again, but also your book and why boundaries are so important. So we look forward to hearing that story and to find out how it relates to us. And we'll be right back. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. I'm sure you've been enjoying Stephanie Jordan's story as you are listening today, trying to understand how she dealt with the grief that she had to endure, losing her husband right in front of her at such a young age with small, four small children as well. So now we're going to talk about what happened next and also why boundaries are so important in our relationships. So thank you, Stephanie, and please carry on. Thank you. Okay, so really with Jay and early in our marriage, he had a relapse on drugs. And I thought that um, he he was the mess, he was the trouble. And I didn't realize how codependent I was and how sick I was. And I started going to a group based off Al-Anon. And it was such a gift for me. I really under began to understand my part of sickness and my codependency and how I was playing into the, the sick cycle of addiction. and previously my part with abuse in in my marriage when it came to becoming a widow like i needed those principles even more and even greater because death kind of brings vultures around i guess you could say and people are they they want to help you but they're not exactly helping you and i'll give you one example People would want to bring me some food or something to eat or whatever, but I would have to have like a soccer game for my son and we couldn't get the time together. And 
it was, it became pressure on me to have everything figured out. And so sometimes I'd have to be like, no, that doesn't work for us. And not that I'm not grateful. I am grateful. I just know, you know, and another time my stepdad did my laundry for me um, because five kids create an insane amount of laundry. (laughs) And he, I was thankful that he did the laundry for me, but he wanted me to leave work and then come pick up my laundry. Well, I had kids I had to get home and I had to feed and do all this life stuff. And then he was agitated at me for not going and picking up the laundry that he had done for me. And not that I'm not grateful that you did the laundry, but if it isn't help, it isn't helpful. And so if it, if you're in a situation and your life is in chaos and you're, you're just stressed and you can't hardly think and people want to be helpful, I would say be clear on what is exactly helpful. And those are boundaries. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so boundaries became very critical for me. I had to get good at saying, no, that doesn't work for Mm. me. No, we can't be a part of that. And just really set up some some strong boundaries to protect my mind. Um, I couldn't drive farther than 30 minutes from my house for nearly a year because I would fall asleep behind the wheel. And so I would keep a, a bottle of peppermint essential oil on the dash of my car so that I could sniff the peppermint oil when I started to fall asleep. It, it got us home plenty of times. So just knowing that I couldn't do that. So if people, um, my oldest son had started dating a girl that lived about 45 minutes away from the house and they would ask us to come over and I would just, I would have to tell her I can't. I knew that I could not drive that far and be safe. So it boundaries became critical for our survival after my widowhood experience. Then God called me to close my salon storefront in 2020 and start writing. And I think it's kind of funny that he asked me to write a story about boundaries when I've been clueless for the majority of my life and have had this 20 year journey of trying to figure them out. Believing in Boundaries was born out of the school of hard knocks. And I am grateful to be able to share my journey of seeking boundaries and and the, the benefit of boundaries. So boundaries is never about controlling somebody else. Boundaries is always about what works for you, um, what you can and cannot handle, and lines of relationship on what is appropriate and what is inappropriate. And that way you begin to just create a safety net. I like to think about boundaries like a fence around around your property. You know, nobody thinks that you're rude for putting a fence up. And so boundaries are kind of like a fence and it just allows what is safe to come in and what is unsafe to stay out. So what about people who have a problem with this? They really have a difficult time forming those boundaries and stating those boundaries. What is your advice to them? So the 
first thing I would say is start with just one no, just one no. So if we have three resources in our lives that we operate out of time, energy, and money, if you don't have the time to do something, then say no. If you don't have the energy to do something, then say no. And if you don't have the resources to do something, say no. And if you will start with just one no, that is the beginning of your journey. And it, it really requires a lot of healing, um, self-reflection and inner healing to understand what you are and are not capable of. Once you start with that one no, you're going to start processing like guilt may move in. So then you <laughs> yes. ask yourself, yeah. So then you ask yourself, like, why do I feel guilty? I don't have the time to do this. I don't have the energy to do this. I don't have the resource to do this. Why do I feel guilty? Okay, I feel guilty because I'm trying to people please. Okay, what inside of me makes me need to please someone else and steal from myself? And when you begin to start seeing that, when you're not setting boundaries, you're bankrupting yourself, you begin to see the importance of setting boundaries. It does not mean uh. to set boundaries. It is mean to bankrupt yourself. Right. You have right. to live with you all the time. I love that. And I recall my own life having a lot of trouble in this area until I learned how to say no. And people know that, don't they? They know that you're always going to say yes when they ask you to do something. And that's part of the boundary setting, too, is breaking the habit that other people expect from you. Absolutely. That's such a fantastic point. Um, most people will get angry with you mm. at first. And I think it's critical to do a little bit of, um, okay, this person's going to be mad at me. They're going to feel like this is rejection. Right. And one thing I talk about a lot is when you start to say no, you're able to accept no. When you recognize that you are not personally rejecting someone else by saying no, when you are told no, you also know that it's not personal rejection. Now, is your book like a Believing in Boundaries is the name, correct? Yes. And is it like a workbook? Is it a story? How is it written and how and who should buy it? So I primarily write to Christians. The book on, is the, under the premise of we are made in the image of God. God set boundaries. And as image bearers, we should also set boundaries. However, I believe that boundaries are important for everybody. And so I acknowledge that non-believers may also read the book and I welcome them to do so. And I would love to hear their feedback even. Sure. For me, the book is a basically like establishing the understanding that you need boundaries. And then I have an online course that actually helps you walk through the process of establishing boundaries. And I am currently in the process of writing kind of a book study that goes into deeper information that you can walk, that you can like partner with the book. 
But because boundaries are so personal and unique to every single situation, um, it's kind of like a thumbprint to that relationship. It's going to be unique with every single person. I felt like it was really hard to go into, I guess, insane details in the book. You'd have like an encyclopedia. (laughs) So I kind of touch on three main places to have boundaries in the book, which is culturally, relationally, and in your faith practices. Those are my three main focuses. But boundaries, they literally are a place that you find peace for yourself. Like you don't have to set firm boundaries with healthy relationships in your life. You're only setting firm boundaries with unhealthy relationships in your life people that you have healthy relationships with, you're not having to mull over and go through. But like you said, just a second ago, the people that always ask you to do things, knowing that maybe you have an overwhelming situation in your life, but they know you can't say no. Those are the people that you have to start saying no (laughs) to. This has been so informative. I really appreciate how, first of all, hearing your story, which is amazing, and the tenacity and the stamina that you had and all the trauma that, you know, was wrapped around that. And I I appreciate that, and I know that many people will relate to parts of that story. But now when we switch gears and we're talking about boundaries, I can only imagine, in light of what we have heard in your story, how how you had to, in your own personal life, set these boundaries, why they are important, and why they were important to your survival. So this has been incredibly informative as well as heart-touching in many ways. So now in summary, is there anything in particular you want to say to the audience? And also, uh, all the links for your book and, and in getting contact with you and everything, that'll all be on your webpage. So not to be concerned about that. I know people are going to want to connect with you. So is there anything in conclusion that you want to say, whether it's a word of encouragement or a motivational word or whatever, just share that, please. Thank you for that opportunity. Um, yeah, I would just love to encourage people to start the journey for boundaries. You don't have to master it. It's okay if you stumble. It's okay if you fall. You're not looking for perfection. You're looking for progress. And it truly is a journey in your life. It it will be an ebb and a flow and a change that just as you develop the skill which it is a skill, so you need training in it and you need to keep at it. Once you develop the skill, you're going to find that your life is healthier, that it's more whole, that your relationships are healthier. And if you don't have joy in your life now, this is a great pathway to find joy. So stick with it and keep going. Perfectly said. Thank you. And thank you, Stephanie Jordan, for being on Never, Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you for having me. I've had such a good time with you today. Thank you for listening to Never, Ever Give Up Hope, featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. 
Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.